Oh, yeah, it's that time. Welcome to our podcast, The Last Ones at the Bar, the best boxing podcast in the game. I'm William Henry. And please show some love to the two other integral parts of this show, and that's Lavelle Jackson and Daniel Lee. Que pasa, mi amigos? What's up? What's good with y'all? Yeah, yeah, things are good. You know, I'm still breathing. I'm blessed to be here. Yeah, man, it was pretty solid uh, week weekend for me. Busy, but, you know, pretty solid overall. Got some good training in, got some good um, rest in. And so, yeah, I can't complain. I'm feeling good. You good, Will? Yeah, everything's great. What type of training was that, sir? My, my normal routine. So I do uh, hot yoga twice a week, like towards the middle and the end of the week. And then I do my Muay Thai generally once, sometimes twice, but I did it once this week. And then I got in two days of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I, I'm at least in there five, six days a week total. That's what's up, man. You know, for me, it was it was a good week. Ended the summer program, so I'm officially on vacation until the 14th, you know. Um, I've just been maintaining. Like I say, I make sure that I keep my eye on the prize. That's financially, physically, mentally, you know, so I've been doing that sort of thing. But since I was off on Thursday, Friday, I went without went out with a few people and um, you know, I got it in, you know what I'm saying? Being on vacation, then I'm really gonna take my vacation starting tomorrow. Right. But yeah, Saturday, you know, we 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 got it in and uh, you know, what's come I, Bobby Brown probably would have been like, man, slow down, you're doing too much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it had a good weekend though. Um, but I, I do wanna ask you fellas about this past week, you know, you had the ESPYs on, I want to say ABC now, it used to be on ESPN. Uh, first off, did you check that out? And if so, uh, what were your thoughts and what did you think about Steph's performance in hosting the event? Yeah, I checked it out. Um, you brought up a good point. I didn't even think about that. You know, it was on ABC as opposed to ESPN. Uh, and I, don't, I don't know how the business of the broadcast networks go, but yeah, of course, the SPs are pretty much ESPN's thing, and it's synonymous with them. So I guess they're just looking for a larger audience uh, outside of just, you know, the sports ESPN, you know, uh, family, which you could see it from how the, the production and everything and what they were trying to say. And, of course, they had Steph Curry hosting it, who is, you know, very personable guy, a personable NBA player, you know, positive image has some humor to them, you know, and they also had, you know, celebrities there helping them with the comedians and other players who had outgoing personalities and then had the, the messages about uh, how far women have come in sports, uh, especially in relation to, you know, the, the Brittany Griner uh, situation that's going on in Russia. So it was, it was an interesting thing. I, I, I wasn't, I can't say that I was just like tuning in watching it. I was doing something else while I was watching it, but those are the highlights and the things that I saw. Yeah, I didn't see it live, but I went back and I watched some clips and I read a list of the winners for the night. And I thought that, you know, it was an entertaining production overall. Uh, for most of the sports, as it pertains to the winners and everything, for most of the sports that I follow, the winners were pretty much as expected. The only thing I didn't understand and no disrespect, but they had the guy Otani who plays for the Angels winning the best male athlete. And he, he had a very impressive season. And maybe I just have a misunderstanding of what that award really means. But when I think of best male athlete or best athlete, I think of like 
which athlete will beat other athletes at the most athletic feats. You know what I mean? And I just, in general, I just don't see a baseball player fitting that bill. But overall, I thought it was a good production. Like, it's definitely grown a lot since they first started it. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't check it out. And only how I knew about it is because a guy that I work with, he was asking me, what did I think of Steph? You know, his performance in hosting. And so I told him, I was like, I had no idea that the ESPYs were on yesterday. And so when he said that, when I had a little time that same night, I went and I researched, you know, Steph and him hosting and they had like a three minute window of some of his segments that he had. And I thought based on what I saw, I was, I was pretty impressed, you know, cause that is a, a tough thing to do. And Steph isn't typically the person that you would think would be hosting, but you know, he did a good job. You know what I mean? He, he uh, his timing was pretty good on some of those jokes, you know, and he didn't go in too hard on, on certain guys. I think um, the only joke that I heard him say, like in particular, maybe to the Memphis Grizzlies, he dug at them a little bit. And then the little joke about LeBron. But the show stands for Excellence in Sports Performance Yearly Awards. And sometimes when you do look at some of the winners, you know, you, you do kind of, it kind of leaves you scratch your head. And with that being said, in the boxing category, you had Tyson Fury he won that award for fighter of the year. Um, do you think he was deserving or do you think the voters uh, missed the mark on this? One? Uh, first off, the, the, well, just looking at the history of it, that's the award that Tyson Fury won was actually best boxer uh, of the year award. Cause there is a, there was another award previously that was actually best fighter uh, of the year award and fighter of the year that included both boxers and MMA artists. And that ceased in 2018. Actually, that was a war up until I think 2007, when you know the rise of MMA came about, and then they could they just start having Fighter of the Year award. Um, and by 2018, they I think they split the awards again, and it became Boxer of the Year award. So Tyson Fury won Boxer of the Year. Uh, it was it, I when I look at who was up for the nominations, that had me scratching my head also because you had. Of course, they had they had Chris Stevenson on there. He was nominated, and then you had Katie Taylor and Michaela Meyer, and I'm, and all those fires are excellent. All those boxers are excellent. The the thing is, of course, looking at it from a marketing standpoint, they probably had Michaela and Katie Taylor there just for women's boxing, um, but they excluded. I noticed they excluded. Clarissa Shields, and also when they had the, you know, all the women, there was a segment, I don't know if you saw, uh, Will, where they had all the women come up who were, you know, inspirational in sports, and I didn't see any women boxers at all, like, in that lineup. They had all these basketball players and what have you, uh, uh, of, of women who, who who blaze trails, and, and there are a lot of women boxers that blaze trails. They could have you know, um, Layla Ali there. So, of course, they had uh, Michaela Meyer and and uh, and Katie Taylor on that Best Boxer of the Year award, and then they had Shakira Stevenson, and they had Tyson Fury. Out of that bunch, I'm not even sure. I would say that I, I can argue. You could argue that Tyson Fury is probably the best of that bunch, but I thought it was other names that probably could have been on that award also. 
you had, you know, Errol Spence, you had even Canelo Alvarez was lost. I think, you know, he, he, he definitely did some feats. Uh, and if not, if you weren't gonna put Canelo in there, you could have put Bibble on there. It's it's a lot of names. And then I didn't I didn't understand what was the time period of what they was covering because this is a this is a award that's in the middle of the year. It's not at the end of the year, so it's like what is the time period? And I was unclear on that. But those are just my thoughts. Yeah, I was I was um I, I know you you want to step up, Danny. I I was wondering that as well, and I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt on. The calendar year like so if they're saying from now the date of the actual ceremony then i would give that athlete that calendar year from july until this july but i want to ask you this bill do you think that just thinking about it um and i'm not caping capping or whatever you want to call it for the sbs the abc you know by any stretch of the imagination i'm not doing that but I, I want to ask this, is that like Clarissa Shields, if you think about her year in boxing in comparison to the ladies that you mentioned, do you think that she still should be on, you know, be nominated based on um, her performances or what she's done within that calendar year in comparison to them? I think she should. The only argument you can make is for Katie Taylor but because they included Micaiah uh, Meyer, that's what makes you have to include Clarissa Shields. Because the only reason that that they could possibly uh, that, that I would put Kelly Taylor on there instead of Clarissa Shields, this is just not by like saying she's better or anything. But the only reason I would put Kelly Taylor on there is just because of the fight of the year that she just had. Other right. than that, I don't think she's like no better of a performer than Clarissa Shields. So. No, I don't think that that's what it is. Because if you're just saying the best fighter or best boxer, then you would just have to go with who's the best. But I think what they're looking at as far as what they've done within that calendar year. Well, here's the thing, right? I think that in the fine print, and by fine print, I mean in no print, I think what they really meant was when you look at who they had, it was like the best top rank fighter of the year <laughs> like if you if we're oh, being- yeah, 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 absolutely so yeah. it's like so when you look at it like that it's like of course because top rank is they're on espn and so you know i personally understood you know what they were going with when they awarded it to him but i also understand people making a case for other you know other people being worthy of being on that list right because when i look at clarissa's shields Emma Colson and Marie Eve Dakari would be the fighters that she faced within that time frame. If you're talking about that year, and that's the only reason why I was thinking that I can understand, you know, that part of it. But you, you're right that they are going to go with fighters who've been on ESPN or boxers who've been on ESPN over somebody else. Somebody if they chose somebody else then that person would have to have just done astronomical things in order to, you know, jump over one of those ESPN fighters. I don't necessarily have a problem with Tyson Fury because if you think about it, he has two sensational victories. He beat Dillian White, six-round KO, one-punch knockout, and then he won a trilogy against Deontay Wilder within that time frame. So I have no problem with it because when I think about other fighters within that calendar year, Spence, he got the Ugas win. Maybe um, Anui, 
But then, you you know, as far as Canelo, he did a lot of good things, but he had the loss. And then you got Shakur, possibly, because he beat, you know, um, the Fighting Marine, and then he also beat Valdez. Um, you can make a case for Bam, but it's so close that I, I can see them giving it to Tyson Fury if you just take those performances into consideration. But the problem that I have is that how do you give it to a guy who's banned from entering into the United States? You know what I mean? Like he has, like, again, Fury always has some type of cloud hanging over him. And right now he can't enter the country. He's been blocked from entering the country two times within the last eight days because of his involvement with that murderous, the head of the murderous cartel that he was signed to um, up until 2020. So that's the biggest thing for me is that, you know, they, they ignore, you know, that sort of thing and still honor him with that award. And so anything else you guys have about that? No, I mean, it's, I look at it like the Grammys and then Oscars, you know, they just award shows for popularity. I can't imagine somebody like them putting a newly and winning an award and having them come up there on a the podium on ABC. It just, as much as you would deserve it, I just can't see that happening. I look at it like, like I said, the Oscars, my favorite movies don't normally get nominated for Oscars, no matter how good they are. And if they do, they don't normally win. So, you know, I, that's how I look at those awards, just like looking at the BT awards. Yeah, 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 that's what they are. You know, they, they fraudulent, they phony, you know, they don't they don't get to the, you know, what's real. They just go with, you know, sometimes it's popularity, sometimes it's who that they're affiliated with or affiliated with their networks, you know, that sort of thing. And um, it's unfortunate to a certain degree, but it's, it's, it's like the good part of it is the pageantry, you know what I mean? Like just the event itself, you know, I don't necessarily like watch those things, but, you know, I'll catch a segment here and there. But overall, I like how Steph, you know, he uh, performed, you know, and hosted the event. Now, this week, what we have is that we got three basic topics that we're going to cover. So we're going to got, we got one recap for you. We got two predictions. And to end things off, we got three or four different current news topics that we're going to discuss. Now, let's go ahead and start formal discussions with what happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota on Saturday. And that was the Joette Gonzalez versus Isaac Dog Bay fight. Vale, what were some of your takeaways from that pivotal crossroads fight between both of those pugilists? Yeah, you said it right on the nose. Uh, it was definitely a crossroad fight for both. Uh, both guys, they, they suffered losses in their, their last, like, five fights. Uh, and, and each of them, you know, had a couple wins to rebound themselves to get back in this position, which this was a, a WBC eliminator for the featherweight title. Uh, I believe who the champion is actually Ray Vargas. So um, even though I feel Joette Gonzalez, his losses are a little lighter and they're more spread out than Isaac Dogbay. Dogbay, he had he, he suffered two really brutal losses to uh, Emmanuel Navarrete. The second loss uh, resulted in a stoppage, which uh, had a lot of people questioning whether he should take some time off or not. So uh, coming in this fight, you could tell him, you know, dealing with those demons within the fight. Um, he started off, which was 
shocking to me, boxing, uh, I think because he, he had Barry Hunter in his corner, Barry Hunter is kind of retooling how Isaac Dogbe fights. So even though he still has some wildness to him, he was more contained and, more, and through more combat, compact punches in this fight. So uh, he started off boxing for the first three rounds, and it was like, okay, he's, he's doing pretty well. Um, but then those demons came back to haunt him when Joey Gonzalez uh, hurt him in the fourth round with the overhand right, which had Dog Bay kind of questioned himself the, for the remainder of the fight, actually. I mean, even though he it was some great back and forth action, I thought Dog Bay did very, very well to to fight Gon- Gonzalez off in the fifth round, which uh, which I think that that was one of those pivotal rounds where it kept him in the fight, uh, because after that, I mean, it was a back and forth fourth action, but I believe if Gonzalez would have really put it on him in the fifth round, because some of it is what Gonzalez didn't do, because if he would have stepped it up a little bit more, let his hands go more, I think he would have, especially in that fifth round, he probably would have drowned Dog Bay out for the remainder of the fight. So I, I, I thought that, you know, the seventh, eighth, and ninth round, it was all like phone booth type rounds where Gonzalez would win I, Gonzalez would actually win like the, the the last minute of the round, but Dog Bay he would win like maybe the first half of the round. But he was noticeably gassing, gassing, and then you, when you look at the uh, the facial expressions, he didn't look really really confident. But to his credit, he fought Gonzalez off. Uh, and even though I had this fight kind of a draw, I thought it was uh, you, I have no problem giving it to Dog Bay, even though uh, he, he tended to fade a little bit in the second half. But Gonzalez basically kind of gave that fight away too, and I, w- I was happy to see Gonzalez win this fight. And Neho, Neho, so it was pretty entertaining. wasn't nothing to write home about. I think it's kind of scary going forward for Dog Bay because now he's in line to fight Ray Vargas, who is like six or seven inches taller and and just a way more well-rounded fighter. Uh, and hopefully. Uh, Barry Hunter would have him prepare for a, a task such as that. But Joey Gonzalez, he has nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, he fought really, really hard. Uh, the only thing is, I, th- I thought this was a really winnable fight for him, and he let it get away from him. Yeah, so my takeaways from the Dog Bay and Joey Gonzalez fight was, you know, you did a really good job of breaking it down, um, Veiled, and there wasn't much more to add as far as round by round sort of thing. So I'll just give an overview based on what I, you know, took away from the fight. And that was a dog, but I just thought he started off fast after like the first five rounds. And if you look at the punch stats, if you add them up, he held a 83 to 71 advantage and punches landed in the first five rounds. And then Gonzalez, I thought he got off to a slow start but I did give him the third round, but I think the other rounds I gave to dog base, so I had him up four to one going into the sixth. but, you know, despite that slow start, Gonzalez, he outlanded dog Bay 126 to 107 over the last five rounds. And so also, if you look at the final stats, it was 192 to 190 and it was 162 to 164 so that reflects that the fight was very close I thought that it should have been a draw because that last half of the fight I thought that Gonzalez like I say won majority of those rounds but it just some of the rounds they were just so razor thin that 
they could have went either way. But I, I wish that they would have gave the drugs. It was a really good fight between those two guys. The only thing that I have kind of like negative is as far as the skill level of both guys, I thought that this fight should have been more so like a, maybe a, um, not a preliminary, but it should have been like a cold main event fight where something better on a Saturday night would come after this, you know what I mean? As far as skill level of the fighters, but it was a good fight. It was, it was, it was a well-matched fight, I should say, you know, and moving forward, as far as Gonzalez is concerned and Dog Bay, I just think that these guys, um, Dog Bay put himself in a position to, you know, another payday or two. And then um, Gonzalez, to me, and again, I don't want to like take the negative route when it comes to this fight, but it's just like the elephant in the room is like, what can these guys really do in that weight class at the featherweight level? I don't see, you know what Navarrete did to both guys, right? And then Ray Vargas is just going to be way too much for either one of these guys. I think that Maxayo, I think he's just too active for these, these gentlemen. And then Laura is too powerful. And also you got guys like, I think Warrington will outwork these fellas. They just a step or two below the top 126 pound fighters, you know? So that's the only thing, like, but I think moving forward, it would be in the best interest of top rank if they go ahead and allow these guys to get a rematch and I, I, or do a rematch, but I don't think that that's what they're gonna do. The other thing is, is once my main man gets back healthy, he will wipe the floor with both of those dudes. Um, and that's Gary Russell. But again, not to take the negative approach when it comes to this fight, it was a hard fought fight, a very close fight. But when it was all said and done, I just wish that it was a draw. Yeah, I could have seen it being that way. It just sucks because Gonzalez started out so slow. And to your point, Vel, it, it was a very winnable fight for him. Like, he could have fought in a way where there was no doubt left in the judges' minds. And sometimes I wonder, like, if it's mental for him. Like, he he's a hard fighter. He's a good fighter. But, like, I wonder if – I don't know, but just looking at him sometime, like, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. But sometimes I wonder if he thinks his way out of things, you know, like – being super, you know, kind of passive at the beginning. And then there were some moments at the end where even though he produced solid output in solid rounds, there were some moments where it just like, to the eye, it just seemed like, again, without being able to articulate it, that Dog Bay wanted it more, you know what I mean? Um, but I think one good thing that Gazala could take from the fight is I thought that he did a good job of making the adjustment and like one of those middle rounds and like when he started walking Dolby down. Um, and so that said, you know, I think that there are some things he can take from this fight and it was a learning opportunity for him. I do think he has a lot left in the tank as a fighter, as an elite fighter, you know, I won't say that, but um, you know, I do think the rematch would be another good fight that I, do agree with you, Will, that will make a good co-main for something. But, yeah, that just might be a story of two guys who are solid fighters but just may not be, like, elite fighters because I don't like that Ray Vargas fight for either of them. But there's a spot for them in boxing, you know? So 
just seeing his calling his fight for how I saw it, it was a good fight. You know, I wish both fighters the best in the future. I just don't know what their best is going to look like based on what I saw last night. You know what I mean? Um, do you guys have anything else on that? I really, I, I would like to know what you think, though, as far as like the ceiling of those, both of those guys. Do you think that um, a title may be on the horizon for either one of those guys? Well, I'm, I'm not sure they can win a title based off the landscape, but as far as them getting the title, I mean, this was an eliminator. I do think that both guys, at least with Dog Bay, he at least improved from his prior form because he was just a wild guy who was just getting beat down by Navarrete. And from a technical standpoint, he has improved, but it's only so far as it's going to take him because if he don't fix some of his, the rest of his defensive holes and, like, you can't really fix the chin, so I think he's going to get hurt. I, th- I really think he should be fighting that at, uh, super bantamweight, not featherweight. I think he should stay there because that's where his power was. When you look at Joey Gonzalez, I mean, really, if, if he wasn't going to rise now, then he's not going to rise. I mean, he, he already had a, a, a shot against uh, Stevenson. Of course, that's Shakur Stevenson. But even since then, I mean, he hasn't really been that impressive uh so so maybe he reached the ceiling and and maybe th- these guys are just opponents for guys who want to get back in the fold maybe that's their limit i got you I maybe mean, might get a vacant title you know i mean when it, when it comes to like stuff like the wba i mean and, and they're super irregular titles i mean anything's possible but when you're talking like you know right now in the current landscape i i Who's champion? Who has those titles? I can't see it. Yeah, I'm glad you just said that because I I don't really look at those other titles like a regular title, uh, um, pride title, uh, you know, all of those little names that they have for their different belts or secondary belts. I don't necessarily recognize those as a person being a champion, you know, Maybe because I'm old school. I when I was coming up, it was the WBC, the WBA. That was really it until 1983. I remember when it may have been Carlos De Leon had the first. It was one of the first people that I knew of who had the IBF belt, and it wasn't really recognized until Larry Holmes ended up giving away his WBC title. I think Larry Holmes didn't want to fight Greg Page. Or one of those guys, it might've been Pinkland Thomas, Greg Page, one of them, he was kind of being forced to. And at that stage of his career, I don't think Larry Holmes felt like he should be forced to do anything. He was calling the shots in the heavyweight division. So he picked up the IBF belt and that's when the IBF belt became a recognizable title. And then like 1988, I remember, I want to say it was Michael Moore, who I know he was one of the first light heavyweight champions, but that's when I started recognizing the WBO. But those two belts were kind of like, yeah, you know what I mean? It was always really the WBA and WBC. And just a little history lesson, the WBA is the oldest belt. Um, You would think it's the WBC, but it's like a couple of months prior to the WBC when they had their convention the WBA um, created their belt, but it was the oldest belt is, is a Londoner or something like that that was created back in, in uh, the UK. But yeah, I, I don't look at those secondary titles as being um, 
like somebody that I recognize as a champion. To me, nowadays, those are like the NABF belts that people used to have back in the day um, who used to like, when you would fight a 10 round for when it was 15 rounds, a person would go from 10 rounds and then they'll go for one of those national titles like an NABF and that would be a 12 round fight. And then that would start to put you in position to be able to fight for a 15 round fight, which was one of the world boxing uh, titles. So. But yeah, no, I don't recognize those, Bill. So going into this week on Showtime, we have the return of two fighters. Danny Garcia is going to be fighting Jose Benavidez. How do you guys see that playing out? Well, we got Danny, who's, who's going to be making his first foray into the 154-pound weight class. Uh, Garcia is 34 years old. His record is 36-3 with 21 KOs. His three losses were against some of the upper echelon top fighters in the welterweight division. To me, the only loss that he has that's legitimate, or I shouldn't say legitimate, but that was clear, was the Errol Spence fight. The Thurman and Porter fights were razor close. Could have went either way. He's 5'8", 68 and a half inch reach. And the irony is they call him Swift. I never understood why they call Danny Garcia swift because he's not the most swift fighter that you will ever want to see. You know, like I say, the last loss, I mean, the last fight that he had was a loss against Earl Spence in December of 2020. He'll be fighting Jose Benavidez Jr., who's the older brother of David Benavidez, the, one of the most talented 168-pound fighters in the world today. He's coming in with a record of 27-1-1 with 18 KOs. He's 30 years of age, 5'10 and a half with a 71-inch reach. He last fought, or in his last fight, he had a draw against Francisco Torres. And in 2018, he suffered, uh, I want to say, a 12th round KO loss to one of the top and most talented pound-for-pound fighters in the world, and that's Terrence Crawford. Now, in this fight, what I'll be looking for you know, out there in the Barclays, you know, I wish I could go, but then again, not so much. I'll be out of, out of the country, you know, by that time I should be in Medellin, you know, coming in by way of San Andreas, you know, and prior to that, you know, Cartagena, but that's a whole nother conversation. But what I'll be looking for in this fight is to see Danny's strength, his power, his speed, how that transfers up to his new weight. And when I look at, at both guys and, and I compare them, you know, Jose Benavides, he's he's a pretty solid fighter. I, I wouldn't say that at 147 when I saw him, he was tough. Um, he has some skills. But when you see him, his he has that problem. He had a, 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 a gunshot, I believe, on his right leg. And you can see, like, his movement, he's, he's kind of stationary. He's not going to be able to walk people down, especially not for a whole fight. And that kind of hampered him. In that Crawford fight, you can see that his leg was becoming an issue, and you, you become target practice for you know the top tier fighters. And I still consider Danny a top tier fighter, and he should be well rested. He appears to have gotten his hunger back, and he's a he's one of those guys that, when I'm talking about his strength and his power, he may be more powerful at this new weight class. The fact that he doesn't have to trim down in weight, so that's yet to be seen. You know, I'm not sure. And that's what I'll be looking for is, is some of those things um, as far as his power and strength. Now, breaking both guys down, when it comes to the power, you know, if you look at their records, 
Benavidez, his, his knockout ratio is superior to Danny Garcia, but you have to give Danny Garcia the nod in power, especially with that left hook. He, he, he's kind of like Ryan Garcia, you know what I mean? He's kind of like a new way in a sense that they have perfect timing when it comes to landing that shot. And it's a pretty, it's a really heavy shot. That's something that you always got to be weary of. So I'll give him the, the um, nod there. And he's fought the better opposition. So the fact that his knockout ratio is lower is just the fact that he's been fighting top tier, top caliber, you know, opposition. Um, as far as counterpunching, that's always also going to go to Danny Garcia. He's, he's the, a guy who's one of the best counterpunchers when it comes to that one shot. Um, defense, I'll give that to Danny. Um, punch output, I think that that's going to favor Jose Benavides. And Danny Garcia, the biggest knock on him is that sometimes he doesn't do enough to secure a victory. And you can, he can be outworked. And I think that that's what Keith Thurman did, especially early in the fight, and definitely what Sean Porter did, and for him to get the nod over Danny Garcia. When it comes to defense, I'll give that to Danny Garcia. I think he's a, a, a little bit slightly better. He's not defensive. Neither guy is a defensive wizard, but I think that he um, gets the nod in that department as far as timing, definitely Danny Garcia. Speed, I give that slightly to Jose Benavidez, especially early on. You know, he has, you know, a pretty, pretty uh, fast hands. And when it comes to accuracy, Danny Garcia and the more effective body puncher, I slightly lean towards Danny Garcia. And then the last thing as far as the chins, um, you have to go with Danny. I've never really seen him hurt, maybe with the exception of one time against Keith Thurman in that first round. But outside of that, you know, Keith Thurman at that time, he was still one time, you know, and Jose Benavides, he's been knocked out before. He's been dropped, you know, in other fights. So you definitely have to give the nod to Danny Garcia as far as the chins. He might have one of the best chins in boxing. He took a pretty sound beating against Errol Spence. And with the exception of the bumps and bruises that he ended up with, he never really showed any signs of, you know, being on the verge of being KO. To me, this is going to be a good fight um, for both guys, you know, because... Jose Benavides is also one that's moving up where he moved up to the 154 pound weight class. So he's not going to have to fight one of those big, strong 154 pound fighters. But then Danny, you know, trying to test the waters up there. He's fighting against a guy who pretty much is the height of a typical 154 pound fighter. And he's not, you know, necessarily been there his whole career. So he can kind of test the water, see where he is. But as far as the outcome for this fight, I think that Danny has the better skills, especially at the elite level, you know, where he's been fighting. And Jose Benavides only had that one, you know, notable fight against an elite level uh, opponent. So I think that that eventually will show. And the longer it goes, the more that leg will be an issue. So I see Danny um, winning this fight probably by around a ninth round TKO victory for Danny Swift Garcia. You know, I more or less agree with your assessment. When Benavidez's last performance in November, when he fought Francisco Torres to a draw, he was aggressive, but his defense was just not very good in that fight. And that was against a 17-3 guy. Or and, and so, although he's coming off not as long of a layoff as he was going into that fight, I just got to question what level he's able to get at to this, at this point in his career. 
And although this is Garcia's first fight at 154, and he's coming off for a long layoff himself, you know, styles make fights. And Garcia, he's a sharp counterpuncher and an aggressive fighter with a leaky defense is a match made in heaven, you know, for a sharp counterpuncher. And to your point, I do give Benavidez the speed edge, but I give Garcia the timing edge too, and timing beats speed. And I think that in this fight, his counterpunching is going to be his offense. Because, you know, when I've seen Garcia have trouble is when, you know, people weren't coming to him the way he wanted it. So he wasn't generating his own offense. And those guys were either just too aggressive or, you know, he wasn't able to do enough to, to win those rounds or generate enough on his own. And so in this fight, I think that Garcia is going to win a hard fought but a sound decision. Yeah, you guys made some some great points. Uh, I do think that 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 it's, it's a lot of things that play because this is Danny Garcia's first fight at 154, and and, and really, it's not like he was like a huge uh, welterweight. He was coming from 140. It's more so that he's just outgrowing these weights. So when you look at his dimensions, I mean, he's not really a, a big guy to be fighting at 154. But you know he's a counter puncher. He always has that counter punching skill that can that can bring him through. Uh, he has good eyes where he, he even if he can't really catch you, he can see where those openings are. And Will, you brought up a great comparison with the you know the newly left hook. I think even though Garcia is not as dynamic or or you know as much of a sharpshooter as Anui, he can't catch you with that left hook. He's a, he's a very active counter puncher that can hurt you, and he makes guys even very very apprehensive coming in but to your point danny it's true like if you're forcing garcia to have to lead i mean that could be a problem with him if if the fighter is talented now with jose benavidez i'm not sure jose benavidez jr really has that right now i mean he's he really hasn't been active really like an active fighter since 2018 and you have to wonder how many how much time he has you know left of course he had that injury to his leg and outside the Crawford fight he really hasn't been you know beaten like that but you have to wonder like I mean I think Danny Garcia picked this fight for a reason and and when Danny Garcia is doing the picking I think uh even though he fights to the level of competition when it's like a, a mandatory or someone who is you know uh a top tier fighter when Danny Garcia gets to pick his fights normally he comes through so I say that Garcia will win by stoppage by the sixth round. Also on the, the Danny Garcia versus uh, Jose Benavidez card, we have uh, the DMV's own Gary Antoine Russell from the Russell clan. He'll be taking on Rancis Bartholomew. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on this fight? And uh, what do you see happening in this fight? Okay, so Gary Antoine Russell, he is 15-0 with 15 knockouts. He's 5'10 with a 69-inch reach. He's 26 years old, and he last beat Victor Postel by knockout in February. Bartholomew, he is 29-1-1 with 15 knockouts. He's 5'10 as well, but he has a reach advantage with a 72-and-a-half-inch reach. He's 37, and he last beat Gustavo Vittori by second-round knockout in November of last year. I'm going to keep this pretty brief. I I did see Bartholomew in person when he fought at the MGM and at the National Harbor. And 
I have not seen a whole lot of growth from him. I believe back then he was at 135. But overall, I think this is going to be a good showcase fight for Russell. After coming off that impressive win against Postel, um, although Bartholomew has been a champion of lower weight classes before, he's had an underwhelming showing overall in recent years, especially since moving up in weight. Uh, they are the same height, and, you know, like I said, Bartholomew does have a slight reach advantage, but I just think that Russell is an overall, like, he just does everything better. Like, I think that, you know, using his boxing skills and aggression, I think he's eventually going to get inside, and I believe this is a 10-rounder, if I'm not mistaken, but I think he's going to get inside and stop him in around the eighth round. Yeah, this is an interesting fight, because uh, I actually did see uh, Rancis when, when he fought uh, Robert Eastern Jr. in a fight. It was kind of underwhelming, but at the very least, you can make a case that Rathelemy, he won that fight. Um, now, Russell, uh, of course, he's 15-0, all knockouts, uh, coming off his win over Victor Postal when he stopped Postal. Um, Russell, volume puncher, got very heavy hands. Um, sometimes he, he can be, he's able to be defensively responsible, but sometimes his game plan is really wearing guys down with them heavy hands and volume, volume, volume. Uh, he does have uh, amateur pedigree, so he does have IQ. Uh, he actually did beat uh, Boots Ennis in the amateurs, so so he's he's known, you know, has some a lot of IQ around him as far as his brothers fighting. Um, so I think this is more a style that he chooses to fight in as as a volume puncher. Maybe it works for him better. Uh, Bartholomew, he you know he he kind of. In some ways, he lets stuff happen and he fights to the to the to the level of his competition also, but in a bad way, not like a Garcia, Danny Garcia, who I just discussed, who fights, who is able to fight upwards if the guy's better. But telling me he really isn't that. Um, I would not be surprised if this fight did go the distance, but I do see a late stoppage in this fight. I say that uh Gary Russ, Gary Antoine Russell will stop Rancis Bartholomew in about the ninth round. So we got uh, Gary Antoine Russell against the veteran uh, Francis Bartholomew. When I look at these gentlemen, um, Russell, he has that rough and rugged. It's kind of like a Rockwaller out there in the ring, but he's a rising star that, you know, he's on the rise, you know, definitely. It's looking like it's, it's starting to become his time in the 140 pound weight class. Rancis Bartholomew on the other end, he has that, he can be slick at times and he has that herky jerky style. At his best, he is a good counter puncher. But like I said, some of those wide punches that he throws, sometimes it, it has me concerned if he's fighting an elite level opponent. Um, and that may play a factor in the outcome of this fight. Russell is getting better and better. You know, he comes in, but not recklessly. I look at his style, when I look at his highlights, it, he's very reminiscent to me of like an Aaron Pryor-ish type fighter, where if you just look at him, you know, for face value and what you see on the screen, it looks like he's just kind of wild. But it's a method to his madness because they understand distance and that his footwork is much better than, you know, your eyes see, you know, the naked eye can see. And he's, he's a sharp dude. 
He really is. And it, it showed me something in that Victor Postal fight, uh, not only the way he went about beating Victor Postal down, but also the fact that that engine was still revved up to be able to get the stoppage in the 10th round, although it was, a, it was a questionable stoppage. But at the same time, he was able to stop somebody in the last round who was used to going the distance and also the fact that his mentality to want to, you know, finish the job, although he was up, uh, you know, by far on the scorecard. So that says a lot about this young, you know, talented, you know, rising star that we have in a 140-pound weight class. Francis Bartholomew in his last fight, he uh, defeated uh, Gustavo, I want to say is uh, Vittier or Vittery. And to me, that was kind of like a stay busy type fight. And you know, he took care of business. And if, if I'm thinking correctly, that was on the Caleb Plant and Canelo Alvarez. That was one of the undercard fights. But, you know, he did his job against, you know, an opponent that was there to be a showcase for him, you know what I mean, to get some cobwebs off after he was kind of, you know, on the sidelines for a while. And he did a good job of countering, you know, in that fight and landed, you know, something to put his opponent away. The other fight that I, I noticed is what you mentioned, Ville, as far as the Easter fight, is that that fight was a draw and it could, could have went either way, but I liked some of the counters that he was doing against Easter. One thing about Rancis Bartholomew as well is I don't know how much power he has at 140, and I don't know if he's going to be able to get Gary Antoine Russell's respect enough to keep him off of him, and if he can't, then I think that is going to wear him down sooner, especially at his age, the lack of inactivity. The fact that this is probably the biggest name. Yeah, he fought Mickey Bay. He fought Easter. This is one of the biggest names, but he's definitely fighting the most confident, the most um, powerful um, fighter that he's faced to men is, 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 is in his entire career, and he's 37. Like, this is not the time that you want to be testing yourself. Like, you want an uh, upcoming guy after you've already faced, like, the elite of the elite before, and you just want to put them in their place because they don't know the little tricks of the trade. I'm just concerned for him because he never really fought anybody like this before. And at certain points, he may be getting tagged with something that he's not accustomed to, you know, seeing because he has never faced anybody like this in his entire career. Now, he's going to bring a set of skills to Gary Antoine Russell, that Russell's never seen before, but as far as that pressure that he's going to be putting on Rancis Bartholomew, I think that he's going to be able to close the gap with that, you know, pressure. He also has a nice jab. He throws excellent combination punches and he goes to the body well. So I think all of those factors are going to, going to play a role and he's going to wear him down. And to me, I think that uh, the likely outcome just based on the fact of what I mentioned and the fact that Russell is younger, fresher, hungrier, and it's Gary Russell, Antoine Russell's time, that I believe that the knockout streak will continue, but I see it more so around the seventh round. I think that either Rancis Bartholomew is not going to come out, you know, the corner is going to tell him that, you know, enough's enough, or the referee is going to wave the fight off. So I got Gary Antoine Russell by seventh round stoppage. Anything else you got on this, fellas? No, sir. Nope. All right, so we're going to end things. We got, I want to say, four 
current boxing topics uh, that have been in the news, you know, as of late. And so we'll start with uh, a gentleman who's going to be on. Actually, this is going to be the co-main. So Adam Kawanaki, he will be back in action um, as the co-main for the Garcia Benavides fight there at the Barclays Center. What, what are you hoping to see, you know, from a 33-year-old Polish fighter known as Babyface? You know, not to be confused with Kenneth Edmonds. <laughs> it's funny. I listened to Babyface actually yesterday. <laughs> I think he was playing on the radio. But Adam Kawanaki. I'll pay your rent. Now, I only think uh, of you on two occasions when he was part of the deal. <laughs> yeah, that's that right there. But I'm talking about soon as I get home for <laughs> I'll pay you. That's the most triggering song in the history of songs. But my bad. Just go ahead. Bad. All right. So Kawanaki, I'm looking for him to show. It's a lot. I think he needs a definite overhaul if he wants to rebuild his confidence. Um, because he was getting by on having a chin and being able to outwork guys, being able to just run through guys uh, with with his high guard and and fighters not being able to hurt him. Uh, and once Robert Helenas proved that you can crack him, you know, guys, other fighters that he fight will be looking to, to do just that. And I think Kawanaki, I'm looking for him to be even be more fit. Because I'm not saying that he isn't fit, at, even though he look, you know, he looks pudgy. You normally in that ring, but I'm looking for him to be to show that. Look, I'm trying to get something done. Like similar to to how Ariota has slimmed down when he fought Kawanaki and he, he overperformed over himself when people were predict were predicting that Kawanaki would end Chris Ariola. So I'm looking for Kawanaki to, you know, improve as far as, you know, technical wise and, and things of that nature. Cause, cause the guy he's fighting, it's, it's almost a similar style to himself. He's fighting another guy who fights with a high guard who comes in who, who doesn't really move their head until you hit them to the body. I mean, they, they have that high guard until you hit them to the body and they drop their hands. That's the only time they move their heads when their hands is on their body. And Kawanaki is kind of like that too. So Ali, that's a that's kind of a, even though that's a confidence builder fight, it also can be a dangerous fight for him. And I think that's going to be a brutal fight. And if I'm Kawanaki's handlers, I would want to try to overhaul his the entire way he fights before I start putting him in there with top echelon uh, competition because not like he, he just suffered a, a setback like how Andy Ruiz lost to someone like Anthony Joshua and just lost the decision because he didn't train. Kawanaki was out fought both times and 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 that is very very telling. So hopefully uh, Kawanaki has a new trainer and if not, I ho- hopefully his trainer is. Uh, teaching him some some stuff that he can. I want to I want to see if he's 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 adding things to his game that's going to make him better. You sound wait hold on hold on time out. You sound very concerned for this gentleman. Where you saw such lack of concern for the Bronx Bomber. The Bronx Bomber is already succeeded on a top level. I mean he his losses against Tyson Fury, who was like who just won SPs. Kawanaki got beat up twice against Robert Helenas, who was getting beat up by everybody else. You know what I'm saying? So Kawanaki doesn't have as high of a ceiling as Deontay Wilder, number one. And number two, Kawanaki doesn't have an eraser where he can change a fight regardless of who you put him in there with. 
You know what I'm saying? Look, 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 Deontay Wilder can show up without even training. You know what I'm saying? But he always going to have that right hand that can save him regardless. But if he's damaged mentally, psychologically going into the ring, then it won't matter. Like, he still can do more damage to himself, you know, in the midst of having a right hand. But if he's, like, gun-shy on throwing it, then what use is the big right hand? That's true, but you got to understand, who is he going to be gun-shy against? Because who would you rather lose to, Tyson Fury or Robert Holinas? I wouldn't want to be, you know, if I lose, I would just rather just be knocked out as opposed to taking a brutal beatdown in three, two fights that he did, especially that last fight. That last fight was brutal. And it was like 11th round TKO when he was on the verge of being knocked out on several occasions in that fight where it was like, man, please stop this fight. This dude, And he's talking about wanting to die in a ring and all that type of stuff. No, save the man from himself. I, I agree. But I think it's 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 less it's less Tyson Fury's than our Robert Helinas. He's just, just showing a lot of concern for that man over the bronze. That's all I'm asking. Son. That's her. That's all. I'm asking. I understand. It's just that if someone gets beat by Tyson Fury, I mean, not many boxers can do what Tyson Fury can do. Like Tyson Fury has a combination of stuff that not everybody has. I mean, but if you're losing to Robert Helinas, I mean, what is who is Robert Helinas' best win? Like. This dude couldn't beat Gerald Washington, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and plus, this is a fight that Cowan, the fight against Helenas was a fight that Adam Kowanowski was supposed to win. I can't say that for Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. I can't say that it, Fury that Wilder was supposed to win that fight, you know, so he wasn't even favored to win that fight. So there is a level below Tyson Fury that you can't fight that can still be top level. A level below Helena's, I mean, what is that? A, a tomato can, you know what I'm saying? So that's just my point. Yeah, I, I just think that Helena's is top 15 heavyweight in the world. And sometimes you just have styles that you have trouble with. You know, I know as a you know former basketball player, there were certain guys I knew I was better than. But at the same time, if you gave, if you put against me as well as I could score, if you put a long six, seven, long arm athletic wing on me that was my most difficult matchup not to say that they were better it's just that was just you know what they say um there's never been a horse that couldn't be rode and a, a rider that never could be thrown or something like that whatever it is but it's it's, it's always going to be somebody out there that's going to be difficult and that was he he met his huckleberry and robert alinas you know and, and that's just how that goes and to me, the point is, is the fact that regardless if you lose to this person or that person, it's the manner in which you lose. And as a handler, I'm not going to put you right in there to the wolves after you've just been eaten up. You know what I mean? Like you've been nibbled on. I'm going to let you heal up a little bit first. Once those heels, you know, fully are like completely healed then I'll put you back in there. You know what I mean? But we'll know when that time is because I'm going to put you in there against like a little bit softer opposition to get your confidence where it needs to be to work on things that we need to work on. And then we'll get back to the tippity top. That's the way I look at it. But I think with um, Adam Kawanaki, if they're going to call him babyface, then he needs to really take on that persona. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Come out to some baby face music. You know what I'm saying? He might want to grab the mic after a victory. You know, like Tyson Fury. 
and then sing one of Babyface songs. You know what I'm saying? What yeah. kind of man <laughs> will leave you standing in the cold? <laughs> Must have been a silly one. The sacrifice of pot of gold. I can see him up in there, you know, getting off one of them, them, them tracks. You know what I'm saying? But who am I? If man? I'm guilty of love, then let me do my time. <laughs> right, right. They get a whole new fan base. But let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. Next topic. Sorry. Is gonna be- no, only, sorry. Uh-huh. The, only, the only thing that I'll add, I just remember my point. The only thing that I'll add is that, you know, um, I just want to see where he's at physically and mentally because he's also, even outside the ring, he also said he's had he he had two kids over the past few years and has had to adjust the ways that he says focus in camp. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. with all that, including the first two career losses, taking all of that into effect, you know, like, is he going to be more defensive minded because he don't want to get hit as much because he has kids to go home to or what? You know what I mean? So I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with him because. He, his thing is, he's, he's, I'm trying to say it in a kind way. He's, he's a heavy dude, right? And it, it's kind of like he plays on that. Like, I'm this big, heavy dude. I'm a he's fat. Teacher, and I'm going to, like, just kind of either outwork you or um, the volume of my punches, you know, it, that's going to, like, carry me to victory you know that sort of thing and you know up until the helena's fight he showed a pretty good set of whiskers and that's what it looked like he was trying to do now this far into his career how much of that can you change because no matter what they do even if they have him trim down a little bit work on certain skills he's still going to be very similar in speed very similar in quickness and when you're fighting against some of those elite level heavyweights, he's just going to be too slow. And then he's going to be a sitting duck, you know, as far as like his defense. I don't know how much of that they can work on. I just think that they should kind of match him properly. Don't necessarily worry about those guys like a Uzi too quick. Wilder is, will put him to sleep. Um, AJ will make him look silly. You know, all of those guys up there is just too much. Now, maybe your end game could be that you're going to, you know, utilize that fan base because the polls are going to come out there in New York to see him. They're going to fill up that place, especially if he can get on like a a nice little winning streak. But they got to strategically choose the right opponents that he can be successful against and then sell him for one of those last fights against one of those top level guys. But I'm just concerned that, you know, his skill level won't be good enough to be able to get a victory. Definitely um, that, but hopefully he doesn't get hurt, you know, in the process. But the biggest thing, man, is go ahead and, and, you know, try to market yourself with that baby face. Soon as I get home from work, now, the next topic is going to be my main man, Boo Boo. You know, the WBO, they ordered Demetrius Boo Boo Andrade to face another, you know, boogeyman out there in a 160-pound weight class, and that's Janabek Alamakov Lee. Who are you going to pick, fellas, in this highly anticipated matchup? Yeah, like you said, it, it, this is another boogeyman, so yeah, sort of. 
I mean, not to me when I look at both of those, these fighters' skill sets, but this is a fight that's probably more so being ordered. It's not something that Demetrius Andrade is uh, picking himself. I'm pretty sure this is not the fight that he would want. He would probably want a bigger fight, you know. I know he's been trying to chase that Canelo fight, and I'm sure he he would rather have, you know, a fight against some of those guys who are currently tied up, like, of course, I mentioned Canelo and Triple G and all those guys. Uh, really, I, I always want to see him against uh, Jamal Charlo, which never came to fruition. So he's coming into this fight, Alan Manelli. When I look at it, how they fight, I think Alan Manelli, even though he's, you know, he does have an amateur pedigree, he's very, he fights with his wide stance and, and he had, he's very slow too. And I think speed will be a factor in this fight. And Andre, uh, he, he hasn't, he's, def- he's defensively sound. He's very tricky. He's, he's slick. Sometimes they call him boring, but you don't see nobody walking through Andre like that. So he does have some pop in his punches. So I don't see this fight going different in any past fight of, of Demetrius. This might be a challenge as far as Andre being up for this fight, but I don't think it's something that he's at, you know, I don't think he's going to be beaten in this fight. So I have Andrade winning a decision in this fight. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that he was supposed to move up to 168 earlier this year, but he pulled out due to a shoulder injury and, and now, you know, we have a guy who, in terms of name quality, at least, he's being ordered to fight someone on the same level as he's been fighting this whole time, you know? And so the short answer is, I think he'll win by decision, but I hope that if he's going to stay at 160 pounds, that, you know, he's no longer with match room, and so hopefully he at least gets to put himself in a position to fight top competition. Yeah, I think the WBO, they they are one of the worst when it comes to these mandatories. Like they'll pull somebody just like out of a hat that you are, you never are really familiar with. Like what's my man name? Uh, Zerto had to fight that one guy recently. He was like one of the top fighters in that uh, sanctioning body. I don't know if it was WBO, but whichever one, but it's going to be the same thing here. Now for Andrade, the problem is it's like no reward, high risk. You know, I look at the highlights of his opponent that he, he'll be facing if he choose to take this fight and he could be tricky. I just don't know because just based on the level of opposition that he's facing, like he's knocking some of these guys out. He's hurting these guys. He seems to have some skill. I just don't know how much because of who he's facing. And that could be somebody that really is you know a top level fighter you know he can show that and step up to the plate against one of the elite fighters in the 160 pound weight class you know you just don't know it's just really crazy that they keep putting him in the same situation where it's a fighter that he's gonna face and the other guys can use that against him it's like man look who you fighting like why should i end up won't you fight somebody first and then we can fight and the other thing as far as a marketing deal you know what i mean as far as um his notoriety, he, he's never facing anybody who you could look at where casual fans will know. Okay, he beat him, so yeah, man, check out Andre. But if I tell them to watch him fight this dude, it's like, it could be a lack of entertainment. Um, and I would just wish that the WBO, with the fighters that they have in their top 10, 
it would be much better if somebody like Jaime Magia is number one, but they made him the mandatory. And you got Chris Eubank Jr. Like even Chris Eubank Jr., somebody like that, like put them to be mandatory where you have some recognizable name at some point for this dude to have to face because this is getting more and more ridiculous every time that he's, you know, there's a order by the WBO for him to fight somebody. It's the same thing for the last like seven years. And it's just getting frustrating as a Dimitri Bubu and Andrade fan. Like I'm a fan of his skill. It's just, I'm not a fan of the opponents that they have him in the ring with. And sometimes it's not his fault, but he might be in a situation where he might just have to get, get a belt away. Like here, man, y'all can't have me fight these dudes. Then I got to go ahead and try to position myself to become a mandatory for one of these guys. Anything else you got on that subject? Uh, yeah, yeah. Good points. But to be fair, Jaime Wigia was a mandatory for Demetrius Andrade, and he didn't take that fight. And I remember Eddie Hearn getting on Jaime Wigia for it, you know. So that's just to be fair. But, I mean, to your point, yeah, you're correct. They they need some, to, to line up some better fights for Demetrius Andrade because there's no reason why a guy that's been a champion that long at – at this point, two weight classes, and he hasn't had that. His 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 wins seven years ago are better than his wins the last two years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you're absolutely right on Magia. You know, as far as him, you know, trying to or getting out of the fight, you know, for whatever reason. But you know, shame on him as well. And that brings up a whole nother conversation because the way boxing is now, they're messing things up because you have a certain like group that it's all about who's popular. You know what I mean? Okay. Ryan should fight tank because he's the most popular. Well, what about Devin? Devin Haney has all of the belts. <laughs> like y'all just going to leave him out of this equation or it could be tank Davis fighting the secondary champion, as opposed to going after Josh, Taylor, who has all of the belts. And then you have people in interviews who would say, oh, the belts don't really mean anything. He's not popular. He's just, you know, it's just like it makes it so confusing, you know, that and if they have the belts, they'll be dangling in everybody else's face, you know. So it just becomes frustrating. And it's just something that's really, truly hurting the sport, man, because those things have to mean something or else don't have them at all. Now, as far as the next topic, you got your boy, A.B., you know, anybody can get it. He'll, you know, he went on a rant in a Zoom press conference for his upcoming bout with Omar Figueroa. He left the press conference right after his opening remarks saying, Heyman and Espinosa is telling me they don't give a F about me, you know, F y'all. And so then he just ended up chunking the deuces up, no longer part of that press conference. What are your thoughts on um, how AB conducted himself in that Zoom interview um, this past week? The sad part about this is this is what we would this is what I would expect from AB. You know, um, he feels a certain way and he's not shy about expressing himself, even though it's ill-advised. Because this is like, I mean, I'm pretty sure that Showtime, uh, Al Heyman, all them, Leonard Ellerby, they're not high on on Adrian Broner. But at the same time, they they don't they they're not actively and publicly just just tearing them down. Like let's say. Bob Aaron did to Terrence Crawford, who Crawford, to his credit, didn't deserve it. Uh, when the things are said about Adrian Broner, you have to be like, huh, they have a point. But it's not like they're publicly tearing him down. And, of course, Adrian Broner, he's always been this guy that has some 
symptoms of mental disorder, probably bipolar. Um, it, it's, I don't know what to think of it. I, I know Adrian Broner needs some help. He needs he needs help. And it, it, it's it been obvious for years. Uh, he's been this guy that's entertaining to us, yes. And we, we're like, we've been feeding into that, like some of his antics. And, and he's been feeding off the, the, you know, our attention to his antics. But it's come to a point where it's like the guy obviously need some help, some mentorship. Because because normally when guys are like him when they're younger, normally they 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 mature. I mean, they mature out when they get a little bit older. Because it's not like anything he's doing is like anything new. But the issue is he's been doing this at a at an age where normally fighters normally grow out of that. So, but to his credit, he did come back. He did apologize to uh, Showtime and 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 Al Heyman. And hopefully, you know, I, I wish him all the best. You know, I, I I know I used to be critical of him earlier in his career, but at this point, you want to see he's at the latter stage of his career, and you want to see him do do well so he can make it out of this, you know, career with his marbles intact and some money in his pocket. Yeah, I 100% agree that he does need some sort of mental health support. You know what I mean? Um, and I do hope he gets that. You know. Um, like hopefully someone in the box community sees this or sees this as in, you know, what he's been saying, how he's been behaving and, you know, decides to, you know, intervene because it also seems like he still, this is, I don't know that man, but, you know, I think part of it has also been having the wrong people in his corner. And I don't think those people have left his corner. I don't think, but at any rate, uh, as it pertains to just the, this act itself, um, and when I looked into it, this was actually in reply to him having the virtual press conference versus the in-person one, which is customary now as of COVID because, you know, that's just what they were doing. And he was actually supposed to have an in-person one in about four weeks when it's closer to the fight. And so, like, you know, even that was just kind of like when I read the context, it was like, oh, man, this ain't a good look. But I just hope that, you know, this is the first fight at 140 since 2017. So hopefully him being back in that weight class goes well for him. Uh, but I think his best bet is to just go out and perform. You know, talking can only get you so far in boxing uh, when you don't back it up. Yeah, I just think this A-B being A-B. Um, but as far as him needing help, perhaps. And I think he's uh, spoken on that as far as, you know, um, his concerns for himself, you know, so maybe, but I just think in this case, I don't think that that's what it was. I just think he just jumped the gun since he's been out of boxing for so long. Now he may just not know that this is a standard procedure. You know, they don't want people to catch COVID early, which will push things back. So they've been having these virtual press conferences to kick things off for the most part. And when he was talking, I think that Brian Custer thought he may have been playing because he was laughing all the way through um, his comments that he was making. So he just, he, he couldn't, you know, control it. But my biggest thing is this, my biggest takeaway is regardless of how you feel, I think that you don't bite the hand of Fiji. You know, there's certain ways that you can communicate your frustration, but at the same time, you know, they're the ones who are providing you with that check at the end of the day. And after this fight is over with, or even during this fight, you may say the wrong thing and that wrong thing that you say could help the other fighter, you know, if it's a close decision. 
you know, that they might be a little bit more uh, sentimental to the other fighter because he's not giving them all of that flack that you're giving. So I think that it's in the best interest. It behooves Adrian Broner to, you know, conduct themselves properly and conduct themselves professionally, especially when he directs comments towards Espinosa and Heyman. You know, that would just be a bit of advice that I would have for him. And the last thing I'll say about this topic is that AB, he just hasn't really been doing himself any favors. You know what I mean? His time is pretty much past. And really, I don't know, like his ceiling moving forward, how committed he will be throughout this process of this latter part of his career. But, and the fact that this is, for me saying that he, he's past, you know, whatever heights that he was going to reach, is due to the fault of Adrian Broner. You know, he should have been, you know, really training and trying to get better and putting his best foot forward instead of committing all of the, all of the nonsense, right? All of the tomfoolery, you know, even the debauchery that he uh, took part in, you know, in years past. So, you know, a lot of this is just self-inflicted. Um, hopefully, cooler heads will prevail moving forward when situations like this happen and then he doesn't automatically assume you know the wrong intentions you know always assume the best and then if you find out it's the worst then you can react then but that was just you know something that was you know protocol nowadays and he jumped the gun and you know said those bad remarks towards the people that's supplying him with the check at the end of the day you guys have anything else on that no, sir. Okay, so the last topic that we have, IBF has ordered um, a Joshua Buasi versus John Pascal eliminator to be in line for a crack at the Archer Better B of uh, the title. Uh, what do you think of the matchup and should Buasi take this fight? If I was Buasi, I would take the fight. I mean, John Jean- Pascal is a, is a big name. Um, He's, he's he's done it all, seen it all uh, up to this point, and Bossy is pretty much just coming up. Uh, I think his record, I'm, I'm not looking at his record, right? He's along the lines of like maybe 13 and 0, something like that, or 14 and 0. And Pascal has a lot of experience. The only thing about Pascal is Pascal is is one of those fighters for me. I don't I I don't even bet against anymore because he's like he can surprise you. And he's unorthodox enough, and he has enough experience with those tricky shots, especially those tricky right-hand shots, um, to keep himself, you know, in a conversation. So it is a dangerous fight for Boasi, but when you look at the landscape of, like, heavyweight, if you can't beat a Jean Pascal, it's like, can you really compete on what's on the top level there? You know, because it's very, it's very, very, very competitive, and Jean Pascal is pretty much to me, even though he's past his best, he's still kind of like maybe outside of elite. Like he can still compete with elite level talent. And that would probably be Bossy's probably best win up to this point. So if I were him, I'd take it. Yeah, I am in favor of this fight more so than throwing Bossy against Bevel, like prematurely, which it seems like Eddie Hearn really wanted to do. And so I'm curious to see if he's even going to let Buasi go down this route. Because I'm, I'm not sure, you know, like on one hand, he would have to deal with more outranked folks going up, climb, you know, if Buasi were to climb up that IBF ladder. 
But on the other hand, you know, like it's the better fight for him, you know, like for reasons that you guys all said already. Like, I think it's a better, quote unquote, step up fight for him right now. I don't think he wants to, you know, climb that Bevo ladder yet, you know, and it's a fight is what I wanted from him. You know, like I wanted him to fight somebody that wasn't like UK good, like world good, but like a good test. So I hope I hope they go through with it because, you know, him, I would not be mad at that fight along with Better Biev and Yard and B-Ball and Zerto, those are not bad fights at, like, heavyweight. So I'm here for it. Yeah, first off, what they should do is have B-Ball and Better B fight. Forget all of these different little fights in between. I don't care about all that type of stuff. We want one champion. That fight has been brewing for so long. It's time. You know what I mean? The iron is hot. As far as this is concerned, if he can't get the fight with Bivol. See, here's the thing, like, he's not ready for none of this, right? But this is, is, is what you're saying, Danny. He has to take the next step because he's been fighting these UK fighters, which are regional guys. He needs a world-class opponent, not the best, but somebody who's a top 12-ish type fighter to gain some of that experience again. It's just that John Pascal is the one of the most experienced, unorthodox, herky-jerky, great timing, and it's like at the wrong time for somebody who's so green. Like, I can see John Pascal just lining him up for either a big right hand, left foot, because you just never know. He's always so dangerous, like every moment of the fight. You can have him almost out on his feet, but he's going to throw one of those winging shots. And I can just see Bawazi just getting caught right on the kisser. I don't know how he's going to respond once that moment happens, because I'm sure it's bound to happen because he just has that radar on those shots. You have to be the elite of the league. You just have to be too much for John Pascal, same way of uh, like better be than I think that. Um, and I would be concerned for better be, but better be just when he's in the ring with guys, is just such a big separation between him and those opponents. And he's such he's so heavy handed that you don't want to make any mistakes. So you're a little bit hesitant. So he might not necessarily um, be effective against somebody that elite, but that dude is always so dangerous. So I'm just surprised now that they're saying that, you know, that they're making this a manager, but at the same time, it doesn't really even matter. Cause I thought that the Bivol fight was already in place that they were going to fight either in September or October in the UK. And then you were going to have the better beef fight with Yard, And then that was going to move them forward. But then Zerto has gotten into the mix because now when I look at the WBA, which is the belt that Bivol has, Zerto's number one, Buwazi's number two. And so if you're Buwazi, do you want to just wait your turn if they don't have the fight in October and Zerto and uh, Bivol is going to fight next? and then just wait, you know, maybe a year or so and become the mandatory there? Or do you want that uh, better be smoke, even if you're successful against the all, you know, just very dangerous uh, John Pascal? So that's something that they're going to have to ponder. Um, but it'll look bad if they don't take the fight, if the B-Vol fight isn't available. Anything else you guys have before we wrap things up? No, sir. I, I definitely agree with your, your assessment. I appreciate you, sir. That's... that's, that's uh, you know, that's once in a blue moon, you know? 
Uh, no, I got nothing, man. I just want to wish you safe travels and hope you enjoy your time away from work, man, and away from the country. Yeah, I appreciate you, sir. I might tap in, you know what I mean? It depends next week. I might, you know what I mean? If it would be like for a segment or two and then I might pop up, but we'll see. You know what I mean? I'm just happy to be able to, you know, see different parts of the world. And, you know, really I'm looking forward to that beach time out there in San Andreas. Um, anything else, Vail, you got before we just close the show? No, sir. Safe travels. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully you get back safely. Um, we'll always we'll be here if you want you want to jump in anytime. Yes, sir. You know my model is respect all, fear none. You understand what I'm saying? So on that note, folks, you have a great week, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.